Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 543. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Sweetie, on today's show, yes. just give me a one out breath because then I want to talk about pop culture. One out breath? Yeah, one like sentence of what today's show is going to be about. Oh, Walt Whitman. Ooh, Uncle Walt. Uncle I think Walt. of Dead Poet Society. Yeah. When, uh, I loved Walt Whitman in my uh, high school American literature class. <laughs> Todd's microphone might, just fell out of its thing. I have a feeling it might not be the last time. But turn it around, Toddy, so you got to like lift that part up. So there like you that? go. Yeah. Now it can't fall out. All right. So I think we're back. I had a minor technical <laughs> issue. Todd was talking and his microphone just fell. Yeah. And it might fall again. And you know what? Who's the producer of this freaking show anyways? You are. Um, so what is that? If I was talking about Walt Whitman. doesn't matter. Okay. So... Um, I want to talk about pop culturing. It's another podcast we do. Last week, we did Knives Out. Yeah. Week before that, we did Tiger King. Yeah. And we might do Lost, the pilot. No, I think we're going to. I don't think I know. I just want to... Well, we're going to do it today and it's late. So maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. So for those of you Lost fans, I just love Lost. Kathy and I both do. And we just thought, let's just do it on the pilot. And then maybe we'll do one on the finale later on. Yeah. The pilot... I think that'll be very interesting because the pilot in itself is like a movie. Yeah. And then the finale is... Another movie. Whoa. Yeah. I feel like the finale... I feel like we've talked about Lost a lot. Mm, I don't think so. Not not enough. Let's not, put it that well, way. Well, not in the last like three or four years. And in the day where we're... In a day where many of us are binging on shows, mm-hmm. I guess it's in case Lost... Um, it went under your radar. It might be something that you want to check out. Just check out the pilot and then listen to our pop culture. Well, and I think it has crazy enough a lot of parallels to what's happening now. I was thinking about that last night as we were watching it again. I've seen the pilot several times, but not in the last year or two. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, how do people show up in a crisis? It's, and it's very interesting how each of those characters originally show up. Yes. Well, what's even more interesting is I, for some reason, I've decided that I'm going to read uh, the diary of Anne Frank, Yeah, which is something that I've never read and I always shoulded on myself. Uh-huh. And it's very interesting. And once again, <laughs> how do you show up during a crisis? Right. And, uh, and I was going to maybe save that. Maybe I'd share a piece of my processing on next week's show after I finish it. So okay. anyways, um, we also have this thing called Team Zen. I want to say thank you to Gail Trigger, who is uh, on the team, but she also became a Zen friend and helped us out a little bit be financially by making a donation because we're giving a lot of Team Zens away right now. So that was nice of her to do it. A lot of people are subscribing for free. And so she's like, let me help yes. balance. Uh, but the last Zen talk we did last week, uh, these were the, our three headlines. Uh, there was some moms on there that felt that they were eating and drinking too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was there was a, a mom who had a question about inequality between siblings. Uh-huh. And then lastly, about playing small. Well, this is what I've found interesting on uh, Team Zen in the last month since we've been sheltering in place is that the conversation goes from really big world global issues mm-hmm. to things that are just happening in our house specific to us. And that's exactly how it should be because that is our day is sometimes we wake up and we're thinking about the world as a whole and we're having like our own existential crisis. And then sometimes we're just trying to get a few things done and our kids are driving us crazy and we're very in the moment. Um, So that's what I've appreciated about Team Zen is all of that is um, coming to the surface and we're able to discuss it in a very non-judgmental way. Absolutely. And then last but not least, before we jump into Walt Whitman, Uh Um, if there's any men listening, I'm cordially inviting you to get on our 7.30 p.m. virtual tribe meeting call. So go to tribemensgroup.org and click on events. And When is it? It's Wednesday night at 7.30. Okay. That's it. All right. So this morning, so something that Glennon has been doing. Who's Glennon? Oh, Glennon Doyle, who wrote Untamed, and we and we had Glennon at our uh, conference last year, uh, 2019 conference. She and Abby came and uh, spoke for our conference. But anyway, she um, has been doing these things that she calls morning meetings, where she comes on um, in the morning and kind of tells a story or gives kind of a overview of the way we can view our experience or how we're 
interacting or reacting. Did she do this um, once COVID started or Correct. was she doing it beforehand too? No. Okay. I mean, she's always done her version of like, she calls them family meetings okay. where she talks to everybody. But these have been a little more like Monday through Friday and then she break, you know, takes break on Saturday and Sunday. And also it's, you know connecting to her book coming out too because she can't tour or anything right now so it's like how do I reach people and so many people are reading her book that um, I think a lot of people are tuning in to hear what she has to say Um, and they always have but one of the things she talked about this morning this is actually Monday that we're taping um, is she was I I actually don't remember all the content because I was kind of thinking while I was listening because she put in a quote a Walt Whitman quote, um, and I really had a strong reaction to it. Okay. Like where I've read it before, but for some reason it just hit me in a different way. Um, so this is from Walt Whitman's uh, poetry from Leaves of Grass, and it is called This Is What You Shall Do. Mm. And it's one, two, three, four, five paragraphs, or what are they called, stanzas okay. um, in poetry. And but... And I want to go through all of them. Are we going to do it all at once or breaking it no, up? No, we're going to break it up. Okay. Um, because I think going through it allows us to have a discussion about ourselves, how we're experiencing right now, and how we experience ourselves in a crisis, you know, and how we look at the world. What's the name of the poem? I'm sorry. This is what you shall do. And it's interesting because I don't necessarily love things that say this is what you should do. Um, I think that everybody has their own inner um, motivations and dialogue and and awareness about what they personally should do and that we shouldn't go on someone else's list. Okay. I always appreciate people's like uh, their personal experience or if they want to give me a little advice, but I feel like in the end it comes down to us. But really what his poetry is about is it's called This Is What You Shall Do, but it's it's very vast. Okay. Okay, so the quote that I read on her, um, she, I don't think she said it during the family meeting, but it was in what she had written, was this part. Um, and this is like later on in, in the poetry, but it says, um, re-examine all you have been told at school or church or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul. Mm. Isn't that good? It's really powerful. That guy's, you know, he's got a future, that Walt. Well, I was just reading about him and Leaves of Grass, and he wrote this. First of all, he was like 36 years old, which made me laugh, because when I envision Walt Whitman, he looks like Santa Claus. You just, you probably think of the picture in Dead Poets Society. Correct. Well, the guy with the long beard, yeah. and it's like he's, you know, he was probably closer, he's probably younger than we are. He's probably a mystic. You think, I think of mysticism as elderly wisdom, right. and he was probably a mystic when he was 22 or something Right, like that. well, just kind of, and- Sorry, I'm getting on a tangent here, but just that word mystic. I remember listening to a few people talk about that word, but Richard Rohr was one of them. Um, Richard Rohr, and then who's the guy? I can see him. He's a mindfulness teacher, and it's not John Kabat-Zinn. He's, oh, I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, they talked about what it means to be a mystic, and really the gist of it is that you're willing to live in the mystery. Mm. It's really not about that you have magical powers or mm-hmm. something. We've kind of made mystic more of like a wizardry thing. Mm-hmm. But really, it's that you have some guidelines and some belief systems about the world, but that you live in the mystery of it and you don't live in certainty. Mm. And just that alone sets you free. It's interesting because there's uh, some parts I love uncertainty, but there's also parts that I adore certainty. Well, and that's, I think you're human. Yeah. I, so do I, you know, like there are certain things that I would like to be certain about. Sure. And then there are things that I'm like, there's no way I could ever know that. Like mm. you and I were just having a conversation with the girls about death. And I was telling them that one of the things that helped me tremendously about 10 years ago was hearing Joseph Campbell, who I think in his own way was a mystic, um, but also focused on mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that, Uh, in that Bill Moyers interview that he did on PBS that's so famous, he said, our brains don't have the capacity to understand death. Like our brains are not hardwired to understand something so vast. And what he did is he let me off the hook in a good way, meaning I didn't have to try and figure it out anymore. Right. And our little human egoic brain wants to get their arms around something as vast as death or life or the universe or something that is just beyond our capacity. Exactly. And instead, can we live in the mystery of it and find the 
the love or the peace or the deep understanding that we get from knowing we all die mm -hmm. rather than trying to figure out what happens mm -hmm. because we don't have the capacity to know. <laughs> and so people who have this certainty, I'm always a little like, ah, you know, I, I it's not that I... I'm going to have an argument with them, but I'm like, well, I don't know if we can have certainty. For some reason, I'm thinking of that part in the movie Rudy, where Rudy is talking to the priest uh -huh. and the priest is played by this Irish guy, uh -huh. just a loving Irish priest that you think of whenever you think of a good priest. And he's like, there's only two things I know for certain. There is a God and I'm not him. Mm. which I thought was pretty cool. Can you read me the quote one more time that sure. spoke to you just so I can... In, in yeah. this, the quote that I read was, re-examine all you have been told at school or church or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul. And I'll tell you why that hit me so hard. And I think, Todd, a lot of discussions you and I have had lately and also just through our years together really connects to this is that... Books, and I was just having a talk with my girlfriend about this too. We were talking about certainty and, and learning things and listening to other people's stories and that that is valuable and reading books are is valuable. And I read books all the time, mm. all the time. Like I'm always reading other people's perspective and other people's research and I hold other people's um, especially when it's scientific or when it's been their life experience, I hold it up and I value it. But it doesn't mean that it becomes my truth. Sure. That there are some things, and I know people will say, well, that's facts. Well, I, I, I understand facts, but also how do you use the facts and how do you integrate that into your own system and how does that relate to your experience? Because the truth is, is you can look, um, you can look something up and you're going to find lots of different perspectives sure. perspectives and lots of different research and it's like what seems to fit um this gets really into an interesting space because i don't dispute scientific facts but even that there's always room for mystery sure. right there's things we don't know like what were you and i and jc talking about the other day in physics the um quantum physics and we oh, were talking yeah, the about the double slit the double slit experiment and the truth is, is that is a, that is research that has been replicated, mm -hmm. but we don't really understand why that's happening. Can I quickly explain? Yeah, what please the, do. I'll do my best. So uh, JC and I wanted to watch a Cosmos with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh-huh. And it's a famous experiment that I think uh, Newton or one of the famous uh, guys thought way back when. So the idea was if you shoot two beams of light through two different slits that um, I think it was Newton said that when that happens, it would be, w and it showed on, and if you could imprint the light on the other side of the slit, it would show up as a wave. Right. So think of an ocean, you know, waves, like they like all kind of blend with each other. And then there's other scientists who said, actually, I think it would be dots and it, and there would be like particles. It wouldn't be a wave. So originally they thought that Newton was right, and I could be messing up the uh, astro the, you know, the philosophers or the astrologers. But what they found out is with this high-tech equipment that we have nowadays, and maybe this is like from 50 years ago, I'm not quite sure, but when they, what they found out was that when they, when they send light down a passageway through two slits, and then they look to see how it lands on the other side, that when somebody is observing it, it shows up as a wave. But when nobody is observing it, it shows up as a dot. And the scientists, as smart as they are, have no freaking clue <laughs> why that happens. Why, why would these particles of light behave differently simply because somebody is watching it or not? Like it's mind blowing and I still can't even get my arms around the question, much less the answer. And that's, I think, the beauty of science is we can get some basic understanding mm -hmm. And then even the best scientists will say, but there's part of this we don't understand. Yeah. And I trust that. I trust all the work they did and all the things that we can get our arms around while also knowing that there's room for mystery. Well, we, you and I just had a conversation 20 minutes ago about death. Right. And how some people's death story about our loved ones, our parents, our grandparents, um, we want to 
we want them to transition to the next place with their loved ones around them. We want to be holding their hands. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. I happen to be in the room with my mom. I happen to not be in the room with my stepdad. My ego wished that I was in the room with my stepdad. But for us to superimpose what we thought their experience should be is insane. I just think it makes us humans, people that are alive and haven't transitioned to the other side yet, it makes us feel good that we were there. It really has nothing to do with them. It has to do with us. Right. Which a lot of times, I mean, that's why we have funerals, right? Yep. I mean, they're not here. So right. we're having it for us. Right. We're having it to say, let's celebrate this person. But it's not like it's not like they're saying, hey, you better do this. Right. I mean, you know, this is... They're fine. They're, we're they're the fine. ones that are still hurting. Right. And that's the basic understanding that I do have about death is I do believe that everybody's fine. And I I have had my own spiritual experiences, which I know a lot of you have that have verified that to me. And I could tell you the story and you could tell me why my story is not true, but it doesn't matter because Mm -hmm. I've had my own like, you know, and this is, this is where it gets a little, this is where it gets personal. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just like certain stories because it makes us feel in control. Yeah, control, exactly. And it makes us feel like we did it the way that our brain told us we should do it. And if things go the way that we think it should go, then we're in control. But the truth is we're never in control. Mm -hmm. And something like we're experiencing right now with the pandemic is demonstrating that we're not. And again, I was just talking to my girlfriend about this is people keep saying, I can't wait till we go back to normal. We're never going to go back to that yeah, old way. This has impacted us. This has impacted us. And, and and I don't mean that in a scary way. I, we're, I know that we can go back to our relationships and school and restaurants. We'll do that. Sure. But we are forever changed, mm-hmm. just like we were after 9-11, yep. just like we were after AIDS, after Vietnam, after World War II. Like, this is what happens. And- why? Why now? Why us? Why this? I don't... That's the mystery. Yeah. I I mean, we can get very scientific and say the bat or the pangolian or mm-hmm. whatever, but there's there's something bigger that we don't understand. And I don't think we're being... Um, you know, for those of you who are like, oh, we're being shamed or we're being punished. I don't think that either. Sure. I heard Liz Gilbert say something that was soothing. And I think I might have said it last week, so I'll repeat it, is that the world is just doing what the world is doing. I was just about to quote Byron Katie, yeah. who wrote Loving What Is, and she is in love. Her God is reality. Right. And she's in love with reality. So right. like right now, she's going through a pandemic and it's perfect. And perfect doesn't necessarily mean moral. Yeah, that word throws people right. off. But perfect, but it's reality. This is where we are. And to, to your point about control and approval and security, it's an illusion. And so these are the big picture ideas. So can you imagine now you take that as a parent and you put that in your situation with your child who decides they want to change their major or <laughs> that they want to that they don't like math after all or that they don't want to try out for the team or that they do want to try out for a team whatever it may be you don't have control over that yeah. and the more that you try and get too invested in the way you think the story is going to play out mm. like the other part of this experience is that our kids are not going to have the same experience that we did because their lives have been changed by this. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not bad. We we look at that and we say, they're not going to live my story, therefore that's bad. That's our thinking that needs to change because maybe our story isn't right for this time. Todd and I have been talking about evolving uh, yeah. on Zen Parenting Radio since our very first podcast. And Evolving is the process of taking new information and new experiences in the world and moving with present time and taking what we've learned and becoming more adaptable and more capable and able to exist in this time and space. Our kids are not supposed to have our identical experience. They will have their experience. We should not be parenting our children the way our parents parented us because it's a different time and space. And I hope our kids don't parent their kids the way I parent them because I hope, I feel like we are on this. Of course, there's there's, uh, peaks and valleys, but I feel like what is the trajectory? The trajectory is on an upward swing in my judgment. And you can give me a ton of evidence that says, nope, the world's going to hell in a handbag. And I can give you a ton of evidence that actually it's not. It just depends on who you want to believe. But 
I think that once our kids are our age, they will have, they'll take what we gave to them and they will build upon it. And discard what they don't need. And discard what they don't need. And even Todd, like I could get super philosophical about what it means to be on an upward, like does it mean some researchers and you know have this belief that things are constantly getting better. And that may be true in some ways, but there'll always be things that are left behind sure. and things that don't get better and things that get worse. Like this is the paradox of living. This is yin yang. This is like what everything is in life is some things get better, some things get worse. We have to, because some jobs are created, other jobs disappear because, you know, some ways of functioning make things easier. Like through a phone, we also lose touch with each other face to face. It's, and this is like the way things go. And it doesn't mean that we can't interject. I I just listened to a really great podcast. Uh, Dax Shepard interviewed this guy who wrote about trolls and on the internet, which is a mean thing to say, but he uses that language. Um, you know, the way that people are on the internet. And he, he was saying like, we can't stop the way technology is going, but it is okay occasionally to intervene and say, this is getting a little off course. Like this is not fair. This is fake. Or we need to put some boundaries around this. Like it doesn't mean we don't intervene. People have, and you know, I struggle with this all the time, but people have this idea of like, you know, falling in love with reality means that you, you um, become, don't do anything. you don't do anything, but as Michael Singer has taught me, you surrender. And from that place of surrender, then you act. Then you can do something. But the idea that I have control over my kids' happiness is an illusion. Right. I'm If I'm lucky, I might have some influence in the way Kathy and I have chosen to parent is we try our best to model and have good discussions and all that. But I don't have control over much of anything. I, what I try to do is, do I have control over how I respond? Not really, but that's something that I can try to actively participate in versus somebody else's experience. Well, and you do have choice. I think control and choice always get kind of messed up because do you have a choice about how you respond? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Do you have control over what your first feeling may be? Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe it's a very innate, based in old wounding, you know, like mm-hmm. we don't know, but we always have a choice about how we respond. And But that sometimes takes practice to recognize that. But Going back to to dismiss whatever insults your own soul. So is, real quick, what I love about that line yeah. is, you know, the unlearning, which is cool, but not whatever insults your intelligence, what insults your soul. Correct. So something that insults me may not insult you. Or one thing that insults my brain might actually be not insulting to my heart center, my soul, my being. Do you know what I mean? Or vice versa. Or vice versa. Right. I may be able to rationalize why something's happening and say, for example... Sometimes when I'm talking about politics with people, I will talk about people hurting in some way, shape, and form. If it be some of my students because their their families are being deported, or if it be because you know girls I work with who are being hurt by you know sexual assault or something, and then people will always come after me with all these financial statistics, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, "But if we do this, then this is where the money will go, or the, or this is why jobs will be lost, or if we do this, then people's blah blah blah." And they talk to me about money. Yeah, they're figuring it out from their money consciousness. And my money mind can wrap itself around that and I can say, okay, that may be true. Like I'm not going to deny the information you're telling me because they obviously have more information about the budget, Mm -hmm. but I don't care. Like, and when I say I don't care, what I mean is, but where, you know, our loves are out of order Mm -hmm. because these people are hurting and we are not, we are saying, but the money, but the money. So who are we going to be at the mercy from our brain or our soul? Exactly. And most of us, I shouldn't say that. I sometimes, I worry about money in a place. So do I. I'm never going to not have food. That's right. I'm never not going to not have a roof over my head. So what am I really worried about? My soul isn't worried at all, but my mind overrides my soul. Well, and the truth is you don't know that you will never have food. You. That's true. You. There. I mean, I think the thing that pan, the pandemic has taught us is sometimes life can, you may look I'm at- I'm pretty your, sure. Let's put it that way. You are pretty sure, yeah. but there are like just some storms ravaged across the South sure. last night. And so those people are not only dealing with a pandemic, mm-hmm. but they're dealing with their homes being like Nashville 
had a huge storm yeah. right before the pandemic and their homes were gone. Right. So they don't have shelter yeah. and they are probably looking for Right. Food. So even that's an illusion like Correct. this. Yes. Right. And I don't say that to bring fear. I say that that we need to depend on each other. And if we are looking at money and saying that will solve all my problems, my bank account, then we're forgetting that there are times, especially at a time like this, that it's all about other people. If I get sick, I need someone who understands medicine. Mm -hmm. I need to go to a doctor and they save me. And the doctor can save me because somebody made a respirator that I don't know how to make. And that respirator worked because somebody taught that kid. Do you see what I mean? Sure. We are a chain of events. Mm -hmm. And when we sit around and think we're doing everything ourselves, it's the most, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, it's ignorant mm -hmm. because you're not seeing the interconnectedness. Yeah, and ignorance, the definition I choose to use for that word is you lack the knowledge. And that is the definition. Yeah. Ignorance has become something that we throw at people like you're stupid. Like an insult, right. But ignorance really means you're lacking essential information about what we need to survive and that really what we need is each other. And that's what makes human beings different from other animals sure. is because when, as we all know, when a puppy is born... It's with his mama for a little bit, but eventually it's like, bye-bye. Mm -hmm. And they're not like sitting up at night writing each other letters. They're done. Yep. Whereas human beings, um, we need each other our whole lives in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. I mean, once we, you know, our brain develops enough, we may venture out on our own, but we still need the connection. We of are hardwired for connection. Exactly. So um, I... Also, what I like about this is dismiss whatever insults your own soul, is this is also something that I believe as a clinician or as a teacher, is that depending on who I'm talking to and at what point I'm talking to them and what we're talking about, there may be things that don't feel right to them. And they, have, they can dismiss it. They don't have to say, but you said it, therefore... It must be true. So you kind of lost me. Can you okay, walk sure. me through, through that? So have you ever read a book and you read it and you're like, that doesn't mean anything to okay. me. Okay. Sure. That uh, not only does it not mean anything to me, it makes me afraid, mm. makes me uncomfortable. And then you read that book five years later and it makes complete sense. Okay. And it's not because you were dumb before. It's because of wherever you were at that time, that information wasn't needed. Right. That information couldn't penetrate because other information was coming in sure. and you were working on something else. Yeah. I feel that way as a teacher, that sometimes I'm giving information that for somebody may not mean anything that day, and they can dismiss it mm -hmm. and say, I don't want that or need that, or that doesn't resonate with me. Maybe five years later it will, maybe it never will, but I try not to get my ego involved right. in it. What I was going to say is as the teacher, a lot of us teaching want to make sure that the student gets it on our timeline. And that they believe everything we say as like, this is the fact and don't dispute it. Sure. Yeah. So not only do we want it on our timeline, but we're like, you must think like me. As parents, we do this. You know, that's what this is. Like, as the parents, we are teaching our kids. And if our, you know, we want our kids to get it. We want them to fall into line. We want them to read the books. We want them to play the piano and all that other stuff. And it's possible that's not what they're supposed to be doing right now. And I love, you said exactly the way that I would say it, right now. Mm -hmm. There can be a kid who can't stand school in sixth grade and loves it when they're a sophomore in high school. There can be a kid who can't stand school and doesn't go to college and then goes back to school to get an education in something they desire. So let me be devil's advocate. Yes, Kathy, but uh -huh. um, if my kid flunks sixth grade, he's not going to figure out that he likes it in sophomore. So I need to make sure that I check the internet to see how he's doing in every daily practice. And I need to make sure that he or she is doing what they need to do because I love them and I want to protect them and keep them safe. Well, and there's... 10 million things you said in there. Uh, one of them is, is I understand boundaries and I understand um, saying this is the expectation and showing up for school, but you can't force your kid to like school right. and you can't force your kid to learn in the way you learned. You know, like this is way back when, but I remember, uh, you know, a woman at one of our presentations was saying, um, well, my kid, you know, when he studies, he listens to his earphones and I'm not going to let him do that anymore because I know when I study that music disturbs me. Yeah. I'm like, well, but... 
maybe for him it doesn't. Yeah. And and I know that's just a small example, but we keep trying to micromanage people in a, to our way of thinking and saying, but I loved, or it, it, it actually goes the other way. I couldn't stand middle school. I got bullied in middle school. Middle school scared me. So middle school is going to be scary for you. Yeah. And that may not be true. No. And we may also say, I loved college. That's where all my best friends came from. So you'll love college. That may not be true. And this is where we have to let go of that story and be present for what is because it doesn't mean our kid is necessarily failing in life. Right. It means they're not living up to the story we created. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't really have an answer because you made up a hypothetical family. Sure. And I would need to know a lot of details. Yeah, I'm more or less just saying... You're devil's advocate. Yeah, I just... Because I know that there's parents out there to be like, no, this is... I need I need to do this because I want to make sure my kid graduates from college. And the way I do that is by hounding him in sixth grade to do his homework. And there's... Everything starts with intention. If your intention is, I want, I think it's best for my child to have some boundaries and structure, and so my expectation will be this, that's one thing. If it's, I need my kid to succeed so I feel better about myself as a parent, I need my kid to be this thing so I feel successful, that's a totally different intention. And then there's a million other things that could be, those are just the extremes, maybe, you know, the, the binary. But I also love that I, I think Walt Whitman really took a leap of faith here because he said, um, re-examine what you've been told at school, mm-hmm. which is what we're talking about here, in church, which at this time probably was a big deal to say. For sure. And in any book, like, and he's a writer. And I think that I have said a number of times, and I know, everybody I know, we're going to get emails about this, that you probably have a church that is amazing, and you have a community that is amazing. And so I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Todd and I have been part of that before. We've had, there's a pastor that we still are super close to because of what he gave us. But there have been times in my life, like right now, that I'm very glad to not be going to church. Well, I need to add another comma to that, at school or church or in any book or any podcast. Correct. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And that these things come and go where it's not about the church or going to church. You know, some people say, I need to go to church because then I feel like I'm doing what I need to do. But what about what you're learning? Are you learning something that makes you feel better? And if you are, keep going. Well, it's so funny. I kind of feel like adding to Whitman's poem, Uh any school, church, book, podcast, friend, parent, like this is all like checking in with your own soul. Correct. Like, is this in alignment with what you feel and believe? Right. Or is this out of alignment? Because our parents who love us gave us messages that were in misalignment with who we were. Correct. Although they were doing the best they can, blah, blah, blah. But it's like question everything. And that, and question everything is another very um, famous quote. Mm-hmm. Look up question everything. That's, I will. I can't remember it off the top of my head. a lot of people call that their own, but I'll find out. Um, But I think that I have looked back on certain things where I've been very glad that I stopped maybe reading a certain person's book. So I've been glad that, or I've realized it's been time to let go of a certain teacher or I've, and not because they're bad or they did anything wrong. It's because you kind of have to some like people have said to me before, even about this podcast, because we've been doing it almost 10 years, is I listened in the first three years, then I didn't for three or four years, and then now I'm back. And that's great. Right. Like you don't have, or you may be gone tomorrow. You kind of have to, when it serves you, you you allow it to feed you. But if you're doing it because you're trying to demonstrate to other people how you're a good person, then you're kind of missing the whole purpose of it in the first place. Right. And that this is up to you. Like you, what serves your soul? And this, I know for people who like orderly ways of looking at the world, and they like to say, no, if you're a good person, you do A, B, and C. Um, obviously there are some things that fall under that A, B, and C, but it's going to be different for everyone depending on what they need from life. Sweetie, question everything is from some Greek philosopher named Euripides, okay. E-U-R-I-P-E-D-S. But then I also found this George Carlin. Yes, I think I was thinking of George Carlin. He says, don't just teach your children to read, teach them to question what they read, teach them to question everything. And that's what college is supposed to be and high school. I Even middle school for that matter, they're all of schooling, but I love it. 
when, especially my oldest daughter now comes home and tells me about the debates they have in class yeah. and how nobody ends on a final answer. And sometimes the teachers make the kid who's so certain take the other side. Yeah. Like this is, we're supposed to be learning how to be critical thinkers because critical thinking is how we see someone gaslighting us. Yeah. It's how we trust ourselves. It's how we feel in ourselves. like, yes, they're saying that, but that's not what I see. Yeah. And that's something we need right now, big time. Because people who are choosing um, a tribe versus critical thinking, and I'm saying that for everybody, that that's that causes a problem. Well, just think in your own life. Like, how often do you go along with the crowd? I am so guilty oh, of that so it. many times. So, and then the other thing is, when you do not question everything and you do go around go along with the crowd and you are out of integrity, can you bless yourself for? for doing your best versus shaming yourself and feeling guilty and just being really hard on yourself. Well, there's always a way back in. Sure. And and I don't mean back into a group. I mean back into yourself. Yeah. You know, we always stray. Like this is... That's the learning. That's the learning is that we get far from ourselves and we feel out of alignment. That's, what, that's why we talk about balance is really just alignment with yourself. It's not about pleasing everybody around you. It's how do you experience yourself. Um, and I, I also really you know, re-examine, like he uses that language, this is poetry, re-examine yeah. all you have been told. So sometimes on the first time we're told something, we just accept it. Yep. You know, there's certain things I was taught as a child that I'm like, this is the way. My dad spanked me, so I'm going to spank my kid. Right. And I'm saying that hypothetically. My dad didn't spank me, but go ahead. And re-examine is, I looked at this once, I looked at this twice, but now it's not feeling right. Yeah. And can I question it? And maybe if it if it's hurting my soul, mm -hmm. even if everybody's telling me you should do this. So there's a huge leap in all this, though. How do we have any clue what our soul is saying? I know what my soul is saying. I'm most of the time I'm lost in my head. You are not. You are. You think you are, but you're not, honey. You follow such a. You have such a strong moral compass. If I was connected to my soul in terms of money, I would have gotten this lesson by now. Uh, who told you that? Where'd you learn that? I just came up with it. It's pretty good, right? No. <laughs> Todd, think about this. I have dealt with anxiety and fear in my life, sure. right? Depression, all those kind of things. I understand them mm -hmm. better psychologically. Sure. I understand them in intellectually. Mm -hmm. Do I still get anxious and fearful? Sure. Okay, so is, so, is there something so, wrong? But with let's me? go back to the first question. So how do you know when if something is or is not in alignment with your soul? Well, I think we're we're kind of talking about two very different things. Like you first have to understand that you're a human being. Okay. And that you don't that things will come in and and blow you over mm -hmm. that like life like a pandemic yeah that you're moving along and you're going to yoga class and you're meditating and you're seeing your friends and then all of a sudden someone says stay home yeah. for two weeks and that knocks you over and what does it do you get afraid you get worried your sense of safety and control get out of whack that doesn't mean that like i'm not in touch with my soul mm -hmm. that means that i have been you know, it's like being blown over by the wind. Mm -hmm. But do I fall over and stay there? Sure. Or do they then come up and find some realignment and find a way? This is, I like the word integration, mm -hmm. where we take things that knock us over and we learn how to integrate it into our existing sense of self. Like one thing when there are people who get so knocked over that they may do something like hoard sure, or you know, or steal, or I'm reading that there's a lot of people on the internet right now doing a lot of scams. Mm -hmm. So they're taking advantage of this opportunity. Correct. Right? And so their fear drove them really far away from their aligned. They're, they're very misaligned yeah. and they may have a hard time coming back, but you get worried about money, but it's not like you lose touch with your moral compass. No, it's not. And I'm more using myself as an example. I think there's a lot of people out there, maybe listeners that are like, well, how do you know? How do you know? Well, how do you tap into that energy? And I think that this is self-awareness and that there is self-awareness in itself is evolving and changing, is that we can become self-aware and say, this is who I am with certainty. And then a week later, we may say, you know what? That's who I was then, but this is who I am now. Right. It's constantly changing. Like there are things that 
today, yeah. this is my awareness of myself where in a week it might be very different. And that uncertainty, I mean, the one thing that we can always count on is change. So like your moral compass and who you are, there's an unchangeable element to it, but how it will look in the world will evolve. I don't know if this is going to be relevant, but it reminds me, Wayne Dyer, who was one of my first really important teachers, he said, the only thing that is real is that which never changes. So I don't really know, <laughs> trying to think of... Well, love. Right. Like that doesn't, like most everything is impermanent. Like right. the Buddhists teach us that impermanence, impermanence is, is everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that um, don't change. And it's that deep, raw, yes. primal yes. love connection yes. that doesn't go away. It's below, 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 below. Right. It's the first layer and that's our essence. That's what I mean. Like That's I, who we were when we showed correct, up correct. when we were born. Right. The purest of the pure of the pure. Yes. And and I don't mean pure like we were free of sin. I'm not saying that in that way. I'm saying it's not it's not about the, that kind of dogma. It's yeah. about the essence like you know when you like think about those of you who have children and when you think about your child, you especially if you have more than one, you can feel the essence of mm. who they are and mm. who they've always been. You know, even with our girls, there are certain things about the way they are that reminds me of when they were infants. Like it's not different, yeah. even though they look different, they've grown different, they have they have vocabulary now, it, they've had all these experiences. But I'm like, that's who they are. Well, and you can tell, like you know, we don't have twins or triplets, but even if we did, let's say they're identical, like they'd be vastly different people living in the same household with the same DNA, and yet and they're look, different. You know, they're different, right? This is crazy. And some, and we may say like people, people get really hardcore about certain belief systems where if they are, they come from a psychological model, mm. they'll have their psychological reasons for that. If they come from a spiritual model, they'll have that. And it's all of the above. Like I, I don't have certainty, like I have room for all of those things right. in understanding why we are who we are. I don't believe that it's only this thing, like yeah. it's all of the things. But that is that is what I consider our soul, yeah. is that I know what's most important to me. And when people use certain language or say certain things about other people or about what's most important to them, and it gives me a punch in the gut, I know that it has that, insulted my soul. Yeah, that's out of alignment. Exactly. And when people then try and tell me that really what they're saying is important, that's when I know I'm being gaslit. So like, it's funny because I, I'm trying to put this into resources or like, what do, what do people do with this discussion? Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards like noticing, like you just said, get punched in the gut. Yeah. Like you didn't think that. No, no, I feel it. You feel it. Correct. So this is noticing body sensations, which is something that I continue to cultivate. You happen to be, compared to me, much further along the line. Well, it's my default. Right. Whereas me, it's something that is does not come any, as easily to me. I'm not going to say I'm not good at it. I'm just going to say it doesn't come as easily to me. But I'm trying to like think like, what does a listener right now do with this? Like, if you can tune into your body, yeah. that's a quick way, right. an unfiltered way of seeing whether or not something is in alignment with your soul or not. And then what we, many of us have been taught, see, this is a whole process. I Part of what I'm writing about right now is the fifth chakra, which is our throat chakra. And the throat chakra is like, it's considered like a bottleneck to our mind and our body. And because if we have, if our other chakras are healthy, like, you know, chakra one is our sense of safety. Chakra two is our sense of like emotion, expression, creativity. Chakra three is our sense of self and chakra four is our heart-centeredness, our ability for it to have compassion toward ourselves and others. If those are in alignment, then our ability to speak truth is super easy, mm -hmm. right? Because there is no bottleneck because what we're speaking is from all of those places. Sure. But if those places in, in us are thrown off, if we don't have a sense of safety, then we're not going to speak truth mm -hmm. because we're going to be worried about safety. Or we're going to spew, spew out lies Correct. to protect our... Lack of safety. Correct. And so this is all very, um, 
uh, what's the word, complex yeah. system of, but there is a practice of being like, it doesn't always have to go in perfect order. Like we can start, even if we feel unsafe, sometimes we can still speak truth and that can strengthen, strengthen sure. our sense It's not of a one way path. Exactly. Like it's not always linear. Um, but somebody should write a book about that, sweetie. <laughs> Working on it. Working on it. Um, so I, I don't know where I was going to go with that exactly. Um, why did I start talking about speaking truth, Toddy? I don't know. What did you say? Something smart. Oh, I think you were. <laughs> I think you were talking about how can people use this. Yeah. I think um, you will be shocked to hear this, Todd. I think it's about self awareness. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should write a book about that. I know. Someone should do a podcast about it. Um, is that that is the ability to know yourself well. And, you know, it's like I taught, we would always say to the fifth graders that we worked with, Todd and I used to work with fifth grade girls all the time, and our biggest question to them would be, and I still ask this question to teenagers and college students, what's your greatest responsibility? And fifth grade kids would be like, walking my dog, cleaning my room, doing my homework. And then we'd always shock them by saying, it's taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And initially that doesn't, they don't get it, or some of them do, yeah. but a lot of them have been so... Uh, what they have integrated is I am what I do. Yeah. So I need to take care of other people and do other things to demonstrate my worth. And really our first base level foundational thing we need to do is take care of ourselves. Then we can take care of other people. Yeah. And it, it these words have been so thrown around that even me saying that some people can be a contrarian and say, it, there's... Sometimes the words don't do what I'm trying to say justice. They're guideposts anyways. It, they are. And, if and we could say the most precise language right now to help somebody who needs it, but in the end, it's just a guide. And if they can't hear it at that point, they can't hear it. Yeah. Meaning that they could probably find a loophole where they'll say, but what about this situation? The yeah buts. The yeah buts. I love the yeah buts. I know. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, Whenever but. you're saying yeah, but, it tells me that there is some misalignment going on. Well- what makes me laugh is when I'm saying, when someone's asking me for advice, when the door has already been opened yeah. and I'm offering it and in the middle of me talking, they go, yeah, yeah. but so they're really not <laughs> listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. They're um, not open. They're not open. Yeah. And and we do, I do that. I was going to say, you, you and I do that to each other. Yeah, of course. Because we want to be like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I but, know yeah, that. Yeah, well, I got that. But, <laughs> but what about this? Think about my, so I would like to, because I know we're not going to do exactly what I thought, which was go through each stanza. Sweetie, we, we went through 14 <laughs> words. So let me read this poetry before we sign off. Okay, okay. Sure. This is what you shall do by Walt Whitman. This is what you shall do. Love the earth and sun and the animals, despise riches, give alms to everyone that asks, stand up for the stupid and crazy, devote your income and labor to others, hate tyrants, Argue not concerning God, have patience and indulgence toward the people. Take off your hat to nothing known or unknown or to any man or number of men. Go freely with powerful, uneducated persons and with the young and with the mothers of families. Read these leaves in the open air every season of every year of your life. Re-examine all you have been told at school or church or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul." And your very flesh shall be a great poem and have the richest fluency, not only in its words, but in the silent lines of its lips and face and between the lashes of your eyes and in every motion and joint of your body. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. I have to sit there and think about every line in order for it to mean something to me. Yeah. Uh, it's just too much for me to take in. Well, the synopsis to me, yeah. the way my soul takes this in, is about your own trusting your own soul okay and that your read on the world is not only okay but applicable to mm -hmm. the world that your the way you see things could actually be helpful and that the way that you experience life um I, I, there's just this sense of that's okay and once you know that you get to stand up for other people. You get to give back to the whole. You get It's like a beautiful um, kind of way of putting together, I think, the things we try and talk about is that self-awareness, sometimes people think of that as navel-gazing and that you're really focused on yourself. And really what self-awareness is, you can only care for others if you get you. Mm. You can only be empathetic if you get you. 
And that, and you know, I love this language, like stand up for the stupid and the crazy, and also go freely with powerful, uneducated persons with the young and with the mothers mm. of families, like uneducated persons, the people who maybe haven't been to college, sure. the, the teenagers who haven't lived life yet, but have wisdom and the mothers who are doing all the everyday on, you know, invisible labor mm-hmm. that we we look at our society and we say you're you're important if you do this but not this. It's interesting because in the poem he talks about nothing known or unknown to any man or number of men. So I'm like, okay, it's the old days where they don't talk about women and it's funny he follows it up and talks about mothers. So He does. And and the thing is is I think that we have to kind of like we do with the Bible, we have to respect the time yes. and that people used men as the 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 normative everybody. Sure. You know, it's just like yeah, all of that's our, what they did. Yeah, it's like we said, policeman, mm. you know, mailman. And yes, was that gender specific and not okay? Yeah. Well, and I'm not, I grew up Catholic. I don't practice Catholicism anymore, but it made me think, go freely with powerful, uneducated persons, with the young. And it's just, you know, Jesus loved this the people is, that were you. pissed on by society. Correct. So. he The outcasts. Yeah. We, if you, like, that's the, the, the whole... I don't want to get into a big religion discussion here, but what I don't understand about people who really, really preach a certain way, like I am a Christian, this is what I believe, but they say, but then you're not welcome and you're not welcome and no, not you, not you, not you, you, but not you. That's exactly opposite. And I know I'm. everyone's going, yes, Kathy, we've been talking about this for, you know, since the beginning of time, but it really is an interesting reworking of a story. Right. <laughs> for me, religion should be inclusive. And I've been taught to be ex- that to exclude to exclude. I know I you know. can't have communion unless you had communion Eucharist in your second grade, like all that stuff. Remember, I was working with a lady; doesn't matter who she was, but the first question she had when I was referring to somebody else is like, "Is is he Christian?" <laughs> and I'm just like, "How is that relevant?" Like, it's we- her definition of what a good person is. Right. And there's a lot of Christians that do bad things. And there's a lot of Christians that do good things. And there's a lot of Buddhists that do bad things. There's a lot of Buddhists that do good things. But I'm not going to say, oh, is he Buddhist? Oh, then okay. Right. And this is our certainty. This is, this well, is our, how cer- our need we for certainty. Want th- certainty is us going in the world and saying, Christians do the right thing. Everybody else does not. My political party is right. Nobody else does what my political party does. My family, my gender, my sexuality, my... And we that's how we gain control. That's how we feel. Like certainty is the new way. This is... I'm taking this from Brene Brown. Certainty is the new way we feel safe. Yeah. Is that when we feel like we're not in control, we cling to certainty and say, my way is the only way. And that leaves room... It, it, what that really hurts besides the people that we end up excluding is we hurt ourselves because yeah. then there's no room to grow. Well, whenever you're projecting some of your crap outside out to another human being or to nature or whatever, you, you're just hurting yourself too. I know. It's that there's damage that gets done Every when you time. hit somebody metaphorically, physically, verbally, emotionally like that. Yeah. It hurts them, but hurts us too. Absolutely. Just as much, if not more. Absolutely. I never, never understood. I remember I was watching a uh, Little Rascals one time, uh-huh. and Spanky or Alfalfa or some one of those guys were getting in trouble. And I remember the old man was spanking the young boy, and he said, "This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you." And I'm just like, "Are you sure about that?" Well, and words can be used to make us feel superior. I don't think he was using that in the way I think about it. Well, and it's it's just it's stuck in my brain. Like that's interesting. Because what I just said to you was it could probably hurt that old man more, but it's from my seven-year-old brain, like, no, you're the one hitting the kid. So anyways. Well, and that's one of those things where I feel like that can be said in hindsight when you won't hit someone again. But if you're using that belief system to continue to hurt, it it doesn't sit as well in me. Like I I had my fourth grade teacher... Mr. Harkness, I remember him very well because I was doing great in his class. Mm-hmm. And then one day there was, I was talking or doing something. I obviously did something I shouldn't have. And he said, you have to stay after class. And so of course, because I didn't get in trouble a lot at that point in life, I did later. Um, he, I was crying and I felt bad. And he said, it actually hurts me more to ask you to stay after. I really didn't want to. Mm. Like he didn't, 
it's not always fun to be the person that makes you feel bad about something, but I also learned something from it. But I think when people say this hurts me more than it hurts you, it's usually like you're, you know, what we realize is often in hindsight, like that we'll look back on fifth grade and that we were a bully and then we'll be like, wow, I felt horrible about that. And I was being, and now I'm still struggling with that. And then we call that person we were a bully to and we say, I'm sorry, I hurt you. And that person's like, I don't even remember, but we're still carrying the pain. I told that story on a Zen talk. I know. I was bullying that kid. His name was Jim. I won't say his last name. When I was like in sixth grade playing floor hockey, he was crying. I was, I was slashing him with my stick because I was tougher than him and I wanted to make sure he knew it. Awful thing. Not proud of it at all. Mm -hmm. I carried that story for decades. Mm -hmm. And I remember that day it happened. He was crying, chasing me because I was tougher and he wasn't. And I felt awful. And like six months ago, or maybe it's two years ago now, and I called him up and I apologized to him. And he's like, Todd, I don't know what you're talking about. And I did the same thing like five years ago with my, that girl in yeah. in fifth grade. I called, I didn't call her. I um, emailed her because this story kept bothering me yeah. in therapy that I had been so blatantly disrespectful to her in front of her. Yeah. And I had never cleared it up. And when, same thing, I emailed her because we were Facebook friends and she said the same thing. I don't remember it, but thank you for thinking of it. And I think that's where that understanding of this hurts me Mm -hmm. more than, you know, it's, we really kind of feel it in hindsight Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And we use that with our kids a lot. You know, um, I I don't want to open up another. Um, I want you to list as many little rascals as you can. Spanky. One. Alfalfa. Two. Froggy. Three. Um... Think Saturday Night Live. That dog, Pete. Pete. The dog. Eddie Murphy. Oh, Buckwheat. Um, I don't remember. It says Porky. I don't remember Porky. Darla. Oh yeah, the only girl. Um, you said Froggy. Yeah. You used to talk like this. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Butch, who I think was the mean, yeah. the mean guy, and it says Woim, W O I M. Don't remember him or Waldo. Don't remember him either. No. I love the little rascals. It made um, me uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to rewatch a little rascals and see exactly what's going on. Made me super uncomfortable. Um, I want to close with that scene at the end of Dead Poet Society because we talked about Uncle sure. Walt. Sure. Yeah, and so for those of you who um, this is again from Leaves of Grass, um, this is what you shall do is the title of. The and I'll poem. post it in the show notes so you can read it if yeah. you just scroll it. Um, anything else before I play? No, just uh, look for our lost podcast on pop culturing. If you haven't subscribed to pop culturing, it's a different podcast. Team Zen, we'd love to have you on. Yeah, and that's an we consider Team Zen another podcast, even though that one is a subscription. We've done eighty three of those. So you is the minute that you subscribe, you can get access to all all eighty three. Yeah. So it's kind of a good deal. Um, all right, so this is from Dead Poets Society. Sweetie, who's the second one that said, oh, Captain, my captain? My guy. Who's your guy? Oh, no. My guy from The Good Wife. Oh, yeah. That's right. And I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with his name on The Good Wife, and I always call him by that name. Is it Knox Overstreet? Well, that's Knox on the show, but what's his name on The Good Wife? Um, Will? Yeah, Will. Uh, <laughs> Will <laughs> am something? I having a hard time? I must. I started doing something else. Don't go away because I want to I wanna figure out what his name is. Will Gardner. Will Gardner. Mr. Overstreet, I warned you. The third one was Pitts. Yeah. Um, we did a pop culturing on Dead Poet Society, or on, uh, we did a pop culturing on Dead Poet Society. We did. It's like our second or third one. So yeah. if you're interested. And you know, I was like, when you started playing that, I was like, well, that's a totally different Walt Whitman poem. Sure. But then I was like, all of his poems were about that same kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in that moment, in Dead Poet Society, 
they are using that poem to their soul mm-hmm. was being was so uncomfortable. It yeah. was in it was not in alignment because they were being forced to lie. Right. And they loved their teacher and they were being told they shouldn't. And they did everything against what their practical brain said was because right. if you stand up and defy a teacher, you can get expelled just like that. Their soul was being insulted by books. Mm. By authority figures, yes. by what they were being told to believe, and they stood up. And because he taught them how to do that, and not all of them stood up, which is even better. I know. I love that they didn't all st- because they we all evolve at different times. Those boys who sat down, yeah, they they could have grown up to be amazing men sure. still, and they may have looked back on that as a missed opportunity. Yeah, um, we all evolve at different times. We do. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Tribe uh, Wednesday night. Get on. See you guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.